DJ and PK brought to you apart by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, it's weird how things keep happening to you in your life over and over and over. And for jazz fans, and I was in Santa Barbara, which is just such a hardcore Laker area, and I remember when the Jazz and Lakers played in the playoffs in the 80s, and Laker fans, for once in their lives in that era, were actually scared in a Western Conference playoff series. And I was living here in the 90s, and it was Shaq and Kobe, and the Jazz beat them twice on the way to the NBA Finals. And sure enough, in the 2000s, it's Kobe and Gasol, and they're knocking the Jazz out three times. And I think a lot of Jazz fans, for all the success, are still looking over there going, are those guys going to be healthy for the playoffs or not? What's the deal with LeBron and AD? Now, PK brought up earlier this morning, he saw some stuff about AD's out two more weeks, LeBron three more. That stuff can always, you know, move a little bit, but it's at least a ballpark. Are these guys getting back in time for the playoffs or not? Uh, I, I think they'll be back in time for the playoffs. Obviously, but to be really not. good in the playoffs. Yeah, that, that, that's the question. Um, I think what does happen is just watching them play against Brooklyn this week is if, if, if there's a silver lining for the Lakers, it's that they can figure out how to win games without them and be a better team when they come back because they've really struggled and looked bad. And, you know, Kuzma's out as well and, uh, and Gasol. But I, Gasol being out, I don't think is a major issue. Kuzma is kind of up, so up and down. But with Caruso and some of the other guards and, Pol- you know, Caldwell Polk getting confidence back, the only, the only silver lining I see for the Lakers is that if they can win more games while these guys are out and become better without them, then you know what it may be different than it was when it all started. So I do believe that LeBron and, and AD will be back. The question is if this second unit can get better. And if they get better, then I think that the Lakers are a team you probably don't want to play early. But who knows? We'll see what happens. But uh, that's the silver lining. The other thing is, I haven't seen the Lakers really haven't looked good all year, even when they were playing, as far as I was concerned. So, and you know, I've got a little bit of Laker blood in me. Uh, however, uh, it, it, right now, I'm excited about the Jazz and what's happening there. And uh, it just seems to be their time and their moment. And just looking at the schedule, finishing this thing out, I mean, I, I don't see any way that Utah doesn't win the division easily. I saw in that Laker game, you know, when they beat the Nets, that Drummond had 20 and 11. I don't know if he's going to do that when the big two come back because he may not have that opportunity. But how much do you think he can help them in the postseason? Well, I do believe that he can help them. And and I think that, uh, you know, losing the two bigs from last year, there seemed to be something missing. And Gasol is, is kind of beyond his prime. He's certainly capable of keeping teams honest and knocking occasional three down. But Drummond is something they didn't have. And he can protect the rim. Uh, he, he can certainly score. And he seems to have a little something to prove. I, I think that <clears throat> he seems to be really motivated and active. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I just think he can help the Lakers. I think he'll have an impact. Um, but, but, again, I still believe that it, it's going to be the, the 7, 8, 9, 10 guys that are playing now 
if they can come in and get valuable minutes, I mean, like Caruso's been so up and down. All of a sudden, he seems to be playing a little bit better, kind of the way he was playing in the playoffs last year. Get that kind of play, get Drummond. Uh, I, I think Drummond was a good get. I, I, it'll be a little dicey because if he's playing, uh, that means AD's on the perimeter. That always makes me a little bit nervous. I like AD at the five when they go small, but uh, there, there'll be teams that they play that I think Drummond can help them win games in the playoffs. So this means uh, what you just said right there really, to me, underscores Derek Favors' willingness to accept Rudy Gobert's backup minutes and nothing else and to throw himself into making an impact in those minutes. And, you know, they're really secretive about his health. I think the way he was moving, it wasn't good for a while and he wasn't performing well for a while. I think lately he's probably feeling better because he's playing a lot better. But when you start playing a lot better, you tend to want more minutes. And it kind of messes things up if you get them. So you got to accept your role, even though that's a hard thing to do. Do you think Drummond is set up for accepting his minutes? Because if he just played when AD sat, you wouldn't have that issue you're talking about where AD's at the four and they're not quite as efficient. How does that play out, you think? You know, I, 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 mean, I don't know and don't know Drummond, but I'm just watching him play and looking at what he's been through, it seems to me that he's really excited to be out there playing. And obviously he's going to get more minutes now than he would when the two come back. But I think winning a championship is such a huge issue now in this league. And this is something that I, I think I, I see Drummond being a real asset, to be honest with you. Not, not that he's going to carry the team, but just having a presence, defending the rim, another big body, uh, I thought the Lakers played as good as they have all year defensively against the Nets. And, uh, and that's, you know, I know they were missing people and, and, uh, both the point guards, you know, got removed from the game in the third quarter. But, uh, I, I think Drum, I think Drummond's are going to be a real asset to them defensively and the ability to score inside. And there's times, I mean, the one thing about Drummond, he takes the ball to the rim. AD oftentimes will be in the post and just settle for the eight, 10, 12 foot jumper. And, and that's not that he can't make that, but when those shots aren't going down, um, it, it can be a bit of a liability for the Lakers. And I, I think that the key thing is this. I mean, when LeBron James is healthy and he's playing, I mean, he's the difference maker. I mean, we can talk about all these guys, but <laughs> LeBron James is the guy that is going to determine whether the Lakers get back to where they were last year. And because he can just play every position and, Defensively, they're good with them. Um, but I am I think the Lakers are better today because of the the reps that the the subs are getting and that Drummond's there. But, you know, you're, you're looking at this thing, and it, they may be seventh or eighth in, in conference. I mean, depending on how people play, they're not going to ever have home court advantage. If a vote was taken today for first-team All-NBA, I believe Donovan Mitchell should be on that team. First-team All-NBA at this point in the season. React to that. I completely agree. Though, I'm not sure that all the pundits, sportscasters, and everybody else feels that way. But you you look at 40 and 13, by the end of the week, you know, (laughs) I mean, they've got the Wizards, the Thunder, the Pacers. They've got the Lakers at Lakers, but he, I mean they're going to be 43 and 13, 56 games. What do they play this year? 72. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see him going away, and uh, 
he he is the best player on the team that's playing the best in the NBA. Now, there are people that would argue that this is the most talented team or the best team, but certainly you've got the coach of the year, you've got the player of the year, and you've got a unselfish, great high chemistry uh, a team that people, everybody understands their roles, and they're playing with a great deal of confidence. And uh, so I, I, I agree. Who are the other four? Because it's easy to say that, but then you've got to be willing to relegate someone else to second or third team. Well, let's just think about that here a little bit. Um, uh, to I mean, you, you look at, you, I mean, you look at somebody like Embiid who's been uh, hurt. You know whether that hurts him or not. Uh, I mean, you, you probably Harden is the guy that's played the most minutes for a, a really. I'm just going for guys that are on really good teams. I mean, he and Kyrie, do one of them make the all-NBA team? They miss so many games, it's hard to know. Giannis is still always in the picture. Then you've got uh, the big fella at Denver, who's probably... Jokic. Everybody feels that, you know, he's probably the MVP of the league. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. What would you do with with LeBron? I, I, I don't... I mean, if LeBron comes back and puts up numbers, yeah. I mean, how can you ever keep LeBron? But what if they miss 25 games? How, how, do, you, how, how do you justify that? I mean, there's no question. LeBron, in my mind, is the best player in the league. I don't care. If I'm going to pick first, I'm picking LeBron at 36 to be on my team. So, yeah, LeBron, LeBron is there. I just don't know if there's a number of games they got to play. Um, you know, what those circumstances are. I mean, you look at Phoenix, they've got a, the second-best record in the NBA. Uh, is You know, Booker barely made the all-star team. So I don't, I don't think he's a first-team guy. Um, I don't know. Who, who else do you think? I mean, who else is, is there? Uh, will Chris Paul break through? they got the second-best record yeah. in the league, and he's been all-NBA nine times. And, and there's a sentimental favorite, too. I mean, there's a guy that's been around – and uh, and he, you're right. I mean, he, so if you, if you took, uh, yeah, you, you took, I don't know. What what are your feelings about Harden and Kyrie? I mean, Kyrie's been pretty special. You know, Harden was leading that team by himself for most of the. I mean, Kyrie's missed a lot of games. But I think Harden. You could make a real strong case for Harden and how well he's played until he just recently has uh, missed a couple of games recently. Yeah, I think there's a better argument for Harden than for Kawhi. Yeah. I, I think uh I think that Harden and LeBron because of injuries may not make the first team. I think that Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic and um Anta Tekempo have a really good shot. And so I just yeah. someone's got to be 6th or 7th and you know the door opens a little bit if Harden and LeBron get knocked out for injury, but that's the only reason they're getting knocked out. They will, they will get the votes and find a way to the first team unless they miss so many games. And I think it's more of an issue for LeBron than, than Harden because LeBron, I think, is going to miss more games, although hamstrings are tricky and you never know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Damon Lillard is always, is always going to be in the mix. Jokic, I mean, uh, uh, is always going to be in the mix. Uh, I, I'm just trying to think if there's anybody uh, in the East that we're kind of missing um, I'll tell you what, until he got hurt, 
LaMelo Ball was as, I mean, the fact, idea of him being first team, no. But I, I'm telling you, I, I don't know if I was impressed with anybody more than him before he got hurt. I, I thought that he really, really helped Charlotte. Now, Charlotte's still in the playoff picture, but he was really fun. You know, some younger guys, but uh, I think the, the ones we've talked about are probably Donovan, Donovan Mitchell's in, in that group. I mean, there is no way he's not in that group. And, uh, you know, from there, I think we've probably talked about the names that are more likely. But I, that, that, those are the things that come to my mind. I want to switch to college basketball here for a second. For the sake of the integrity of the sport, did Arizona need to part ways with Sean Miller? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just wondering why it took this long. And I, I mean, I, I'm not. Yeah, really. Sean. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've met Sean a few times. I don't. He's not a friend per se, but that. For, I, I don't understand why that took so long. When when I I listened to the recordings, you can listen to the recordings on the telephone. All of that was public information. Uh, yeah, that should have happened a long time ago. I'll say it was a pan- pandemic. He had an expensive contract, and he won a lot. And those three things yeah. got him an extra year because otherwise he could have been gone a year ago. Yeah, uh, I'm I, curious. I I'm curious about all the names that have been linked, and it is. It has really entertained me how many guys have been linked to a job. You just can't have 50 finalists, and the list isn't 50 long, but it's pretty long. But I'm curious, as a guy who went in and had to clean stuff up, and then there was um, you know, probation and the NCAA comes in, how much should people want that job? Because on the one hand, it is the Arizona job. It's a power five league. You get paid a lot of money, and you got a chance to win a lot, and you got a rep to to recruit off of. And then over here, sanctions and people sometimes underestimate how crippling they are in the short run, which is all a coach may have is the short run. So, what would you advise this long list of people linked to that job? You know, uh, I, I, I mean, I've I've been involved in a job like this. Um, and, and it, it didn't play out perfect for me, but there are some real benefits and there's some really good things that can happen. One, I think in a job like this, people are not going to be impatient. I know that most people are, but when everything gets fully exposed and, every, and we're going to be real transparent with the community and that athletic director, that president, and that coach need to be transparent about where they are and where they're going and that we can't go back to this and that we're going to get this program back to where it once was, but uh, you need to understand that these things have to take place. And so I think there uh, is a narrative that takes place when the the coach is selected that can protect him, protect the institution, and welcome new players. Now, the transfer portal, we've talked about that almost every week. Uh, Getting players quickly – is not nearly as difficult as it used to be because there's 1,700 people in the transfer portal and a lot of them are really good players. But I, but I, 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 don't, I don't believe it's a job. I mean, I, I think it can be a really good job. And I think you get a little bit of a break and you get a little bit of breathing area that you're going to go clean things up and get things right academically. You're going to get things to change the culture. People are going to be a little more patient. You're probably going to get a year or two, and then after that, they'll be chomping at the bit again. But – I, I, that, those are good jobs to take, personally. I, I think that uh, if, you, if you trust yourself, if you can get a great staff together and turn that thing, 
that's a great institution. It's a wonderful place to play. It's in a good conference. Uh, it, it, they can make that a destination spot again without all the cheating. So I've talked to some people about that job, uh, and a lot of folks down there are talking about keeping it in the family. You got Damon Stoudemire at Pacific, Miles Simon, NBA assistant, uh, and Josh Pashner, who was at Memphis, is a walk-on there for Lute Olson at Memphis now at Georgia Tech. And so those three guys, I don't, I don't think Steve Kerr or Luke Walton would leave the NBA to go there, but those three guys, college level, uh, I, w- I would certainly think uh, would be interested and then you also got Tommy Lloyd at Gonzaga, 46 years old, uh, and has a, an agreement to succeed Mark Few, who I believe is 58, but I'm not sure Mark Few is retiring anytime soon. And Tommy Lloyd has built a reputation with Gonzaga, and he has a loose tie anyway. His son, I think, plays for Grand Canyon, which is in the Phoenix area two hours away. But what do you think about Tommy Lloyd as far as from leaving his job where it's pretty secure and then from Arizona perspective of hiring somebody who's never been a head coach at the collegiate level? That's a great question. I, you know, Tommy Lloyd is, has had a huge impact in the footprint there at Gonzaga, and certainly he's comfortable. But I think anybody that's been doing that as long as they have, there's an itch to go have my own team. And to have my own team be in Arizona in a – you know, really a, a, a program that's had a storied history and has been had great success. Um, I, I I could see him leaving, and uh, and and yeah, you, you know what, he he's going to get out of his comfort zone. But I think most guys that are in this business at the highest level, that's what they dream about, and to be able to get that job and actually with an asterisk have a little bit of time to fix that thing. He, he's a great recruiter. He, he knows where people and players are. And uh, I, I think that the turnaround will be pretty quick there. Now, you, you know, it's, it's interesting. All three of those others, Stoudemire, Miles, Pazner, I mean, those are all really good coaches, all have connections, and, and I think would all be good coaches there. Uh, Damon Stoudemire has done a nice job with the WCC. It, it's not easy building something at ULP, but he's made them competitive. You know, I did a few of his games a couple of years ago and had a chance to spend time with him as he – you know, he, he does a great job in preparation. He brings kind of a NBA feel for things as well. He just wasn't dealing with the same caliber and level, high-level players. But I, I don't think you can miss on any of those guys. But Tommy Lord will get his chance to stay at Gonzaga. But it may be a deal where, hey, you know what? I helped establish this, and I want to go do my own thing. And I want to establish my own program. And, I, listen, I, I don't know him, and I've never had a conversation. But I could see him thinking that way that this is a great opportunity for me and to do what we've just done, replicate it, get Arizona back in the top 10 in the country and going to the NC2A tournament every year and doing it clean. So, uh, and I think people can get excited about that. I, I'm sure that their Arizona alums w- would love to have any one of those three former players or have connections. But Tommy Lloyd probably, he's, he's a guy that's as hot as there is and, and has been in a program that's been dominant. So, uh, I think it's a. I think it'd be a good hire to have him come in. Yes, there's things he's going to have to learn, and yes, he's going to have to get a staff, and maybe he fills some of his staff with former players from Arizona. I don't know, but uh, I, I I think it's it's a little risky from where he is right in a safe, comfortable position. But I think most guys want the challenge, man. They want to have their own team, and this is a, probably a pretty good time for Coach Lloyd. 
Well, Coach, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for stopping by, and we will talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Take care. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Everything you missed in this show, we get you up to speed next. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Now Miles Bridges, he'll go in, dunks it on top of Clint Capella. Are you kidding me? Oh no, he didn't. Miles gonna give it to you. Now, they got across the timeline here. Chests it into the front court to Bledsoe. The no-look to Zion, and the flush with two hands. That couldn't have worked out better. George puts the head down momentarily. Crossover down the middle of the lane, all the way to the room. Oh, Paul George, look out. A box office finish as he put it on the head of Isaiah Stork. DeRozan taking it left side. Gets a screen from Derek White. Takes it down to the baseline. Now step back long two. That shot is good for DeMar DeRozan with five-tenths of a second remaining in the game. Highlights from the NBA there. The Spurs beating the Mavericks right at the end. Nuggets give up a 31-3 run to the Boston Celtics. That was probably the head-scratcher on Sunday. Clippers beat the Pistons. Blazers lost. So three, uh, four of the top seven in the West playing and three of them losing. The Jazz are two and a half games up on the Suns. Those teams both won Saturday and took Sunday off. What would you like to share with the people from Sunday's or this weekend's NBA action? Uh, the Jazz won. They came back and beat Sacramento. I think that's what most people care about. The rest now, everyone's chasing the Jazz. So... The Jazz don't really have to worry. All they have to do is win. If you want the number one seed, well, it's simple. The path is there, and that's a great spot to be in. Everything else, um, I don't I don't really think that our listeners are that concerned about it. I think that probably the best news was that Denver lost because they had been 7-0 and zero with Aaron Gordon. And so that makes you a little nervous. You know, is Aaron Gordon the missing piece in terms of getting in the finals in the way that Jeff Hornacek was the missing piece? when he was brought over and he needed a little bit to get going. And then what, by the first full year of training camp, he was in there and integrated into the system. And then they went to the finals two years in a row and wondering if, you know, that's where they are with Aaron Gordon. I think they had won eight in a row. Uh, And the Celtics, they are the biggest mystery team this year. You have no idea what they're doing from game to game. And so they went on a phenomenal run. So Denver losing was a little bit of an eye opener. So I guess when you're in first place, the only thing from the Jazz perspective that you would enjoy is the teams below you losing, right? Right, but I think it's getting to the point for me now that I'm intrigued by what these other teams are doing. I feel like the Jazz are going to be first or second. I think the odds are very good they're going to be first. There's a slight chance they'll be second. It's five games in the loss column back to the Clippers, and the Jazz have the tiebreaker. So I don't see that the Jazz are going to be caught by the Clippers or Nuggets. I know you, you're still invested in the Northwest Division, and I'm sleeping on that, but, you know, that's just going to have to be a difference the two of us are going to have to live with. And we're just going to have to adapt. So the Jazz are going to be one or two. I think they're going to be one. 
Who eight is, we can't possibly know until they do this play-in tournament thingy. So I'm a little focused, and I confused you with a roundabout explanation. I'm a little focused on who's going to be in the four and five slots. Because <laughs> that's the Jazz, I assume they're going to win the first round. Donovan said they're getting out of the first round, and the one usually beats the eight. Regardless of who the eight is, it could be Memphis or San Antonio or Golden State. I don't know. I guess it could be Dallas. I don't think it will be, but it could be. So I'm looking at 4-5 thinking, are the Lakers going to end up in that 4-5 series? Are the Lakers a second-round opponent for the Jazz? And I'm starting to think the answer is probably going to be yes. It was a big win for the Lakers Saturday for the Nets. Go ahead. Take that. Yeah. All right, so there's the NBA. We mm. talked quite a bit about that and about Donovan Mitchell and the tear he's on. He's averaged 40 points a game over the last three games. Now, that's bubble Donovan range right there. Now, that was a seven-game sample, and there's no crowd, and there's no travel. So it's a one-of-a-kind deal. But as a guy who's in his fourth year, there's still upside for most players in the fourth year. How good can he be? How good can he get? How much can he sustain this? Can he sustain this through the playoffs? Because if he can, a team that's as defensively as good as the Jazz, that offensively has been top five all year, and now your top guy elevates himself, PK, dream big! Dream big, PK! Well, when you have the regular best regular season in the record, you should already be best regular season record in at, at this point with a month to go in the season in any season is what I was trying to spit out. You should be dreaming big. And it's funny because you asked, uh, this is honestly my honest reaction. When you asked how long Donovan could sustain it, mm-hmm. I actually thought, what are we talking about? Five, six, seven years. I didn't think you were talking <laughs> about X amount of games this season. I literally thought, has he reached his prime? Can he get better? Uh, probably he can get a little bit better. And then once he gets to that a little bit better, you know, you start to get in your fifth year in the league, fifth, 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 sixth year, you should be to a good measure who you are. You can get a little bit better for sure. And how long can he sustain it? I actually thought I would, to me, it's a given that he could do this the rest of this season. I'm thinking, can he do this at 32? That's what I was thinking. So I think that the, the key in all of this is do this. You know, and different people take that different ways. For some people, they're like, yeah, he's averaging 26 points a game now. That's top 10 in the league. That's pretty rarefied air right there. Now, he's averaging 30 points a game this month over a half dozen games. Can he sustain that? 26 to 30 only sounds like four points. And there's one or two guys in the league who are going to average 30 points a game. That's a lot. This 40-point tear he's on, no one sustains that. But... The most impressive thing, if you step beyond the numbers, is does he summon it whenever the team needs it? You know, that was a pretty tight game until the last three to four minutes with the Kings. The Jazz kind of broke it open, right? So he felt like he needed a 30-point second half, so he summoned it. He conjured it. He produced it. Now, you don't need that against Orlando, so you don't have a 30-point second half because you don't need it. When you need it, when you hit the toughest moments in the playoffs, and you've been doing this show forever, this is like your favorite thing about the NBA. Get me to the playoffs in the biggest moment, and who summons whatever is needed. The big offensive rebound, the role guy who hits the shot in the corner to give the Heat the championship, the star who delivers 40 and 20, because that's what his team needs. 
What do you need, whether it's a series, a game, or a moment? And the fact that Donovan is starting to do that, more than any of the numbers, that would be the encouraging thing for Jazz fans. Now, it's one thing to do it against the Kings at home in the regular season. It's another thing to do it against LeBron in Game 6 of a playoff series. I get that. I get that. (laughs) Right, no doubt. Exactly. But if you can't do it against the Kings in the regular season, you're not doing it against LeBron in the playoffs. So it's a little bit of hope, but it isn't that the test comes when the test comes. So there's no final before the final to prepare you for it. You know, you got to you get to the final exam and that's when you got to pass it. And Steve Cleveland came on our show and was like, yeah, for all we're talking about, you know, and it, and it all matters. Everything matters. Role players matter and all that. But man, when LeBron is healthy and has it going, good luck with that. If LeBron's healthy and has it going, it really helps if you have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Have two slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famers. And have Klay Thompson, too. That's what you need when LeBron gets it going. This is a frightening thought. (laughs) Yeah, and don't underestimate Sean Livingston. Right? Win the bench minutes. (laughs) LeBron's LeBron. We get it. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, that's San Antonio Spurs thinking right there, win the bench minute. So, of course, it's now thinking for a half dozen teams around the league, right? Where Everywhere the Spurs' influence is felt, and obviously here in Utah with a GM and a coach out of that organization. So, well, not GM, that's not his title anymore, but you get the point. All right, so we talked a lot of basketball today. Uh, we talked a little bit of uh, golf today, putting a wrap on the Masters. Japan has a uh, major title now with the Masters. Hideki Matsuyami puts on the green jacket. How does it change golf? You drew the baseball analogy, PK, and I think there's a basketball analogy to be drawn there as well. As, uh, bas- golf was always a little international, but there's still a lot of countries where there's a lot of room for growth. Right, We've seen guys come from Europe, South Africa, Australia, but there's still plenty of room for growth. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the LPGA Tour, the explosion of the Korean ladies has just been unbelievable, really, as far as them being there and, and, and uh, you know, having lived in Los Angeles where there's a, a, a much higher Asian population. I can tell you, generally speaking, a lot of Asians love golf, that's for sure. And we've heard the stories over there in Japan. And does this become, in a sense, groundbreaking? To me, having Matsuyama win on his own accord, it's not that big of a surprise. I've seen him win before, and uh, he's very, very good. We all know of him. It's not like you're wondering – uh, who's this guy? No. At least I wasn't. He's, I mean, he, we know who he is. He's won two golf world championship events, and those yeah, have yeah. come. They're playing for a lot of money, and they're playing for some prestige. And the field's there. You're going to have 25 of the top 30 players at a world golf championship event. You might have more. But the, the best show up for those. So he's beaten that level of competition, but now you put him on a stage where there's even more prestige and history, and you watch the nerves go to work. But, hey, you build yourself a six-shot cushion, you earn the right to make a few mistakes and get away with it. And he did that and uh, played it conservatively coming home. Really, just after he dumped it in the water at 15, it was all about not dumping it in the water again. He, he made a conscious decision. I'm going to chip the ball twice and make a putt. That's how I'm going to play out this hole. And he did it, and that was the path to victory. Well, yeah, once you've got that lead, 
in a sense, you don't really hear about this, but you can play not to lose mm-hmm. at least for a couple holes till, you know, see where you're at. And the more holes you eliminate, the closer you are to winning. And the strategy obviously paid off. And, and, and obviously, uh, Shoffley hitting the ball in the water uh, helped the cause of and took the, to look, took a little bit of the pressure off. But he's a winner, and he is a Masters winner. That will be something there. You know, you have that for life. There's nothing like I can imagine having the prior year's winner putting that jacket on <laughs> you. That's got to be incredible. And uh, you go in there, and you get to wear that thing. And, and we know that we've heard about – uh, the Japanese media mm-hmm. with these guys who've come over from the U.S. and played different sports uh, and how they just follow these guys. I heard that when Matsuyama tees it up on an American tour, he has 30 to 50 media members following him uh, just everywhere. It's, it's unlike anything that we as an American media and American public and a consumer of sports and media has ever experienced. It's really, really incredible. I saw it firsthand a couple years ago when Gonzaga was in the tournament down there on West coast and they had Hutchimore on the team and I would go down the hall to Orleans and I see just all these people and didn't recognize it didn't register to me. Why are these Asian people in this hallway where they were waiting for Hachimura to come out of the locker room and do his interview stuff. And it was so cool because they're all engaged with him. And that's when I had that time to do that one-on-one with few. (laughs) (laughs) The bus couldn't leave. (laughs) Mark had nothing to do but talk to you. I'll talk to this guy. Whatever, I got to Because there were so many people. Uh, yeah. from the media perspective that wanted to interview Hachimura. And obviously he's playing with Washington. He's in town today. I mean, he should be playing tonight, actually. And so I can only imagine this because golf is big over there, obviously. And we'll see if, if 10 years from now, we'll just see that many more Japanese guys out on the PGA Tour playing. PK. They already play over there, but do they play over here? One thing on this, there's a, there's some pictures out there on social media right now of Matsuyama and his kind of his guys he's traveling with. They're in the Atlanta airport He's sitting just at a gate. He's got the the master's jacket just draped over the arm of the chair, waiting on a flight to Chicago in theory to connect to Tokyo. But he's just sitting there by himself with the master's jacket in the Atlanta airport. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> just awesome. <laughs> I guess the only guys who could really relate to him, then you'd have to go to a handful of, you know, Tiger and Phil level stars where you're getting that level of scrutiny. You know, 30 to 50 pairs of eyes on you. They were talking about it on the broadcast, and I don't remember which analyst it was who said, um, you know, the Japanese uh, media, he's going to have some time with them afterwards. And then Jim Nance chimed in, yeah, and the American media is going to want their slice of time with him too. You know, this is a guy who's going to be under the spotlight. Easier after you win. You got all kinds of time after you win. But uh, I think they were talking about it on Saturday about – You know, whatever your routine is post round to get ready for the final round, like he's got to he's got to spend way more time with the media than everybody else. Did you know that he has a connection to Utah? What is it? I did. PK, go ahead. Uh, I had heard. Well, anyway, I I don't know if it's the same thing, but I heard his interpreter was a return missionary. Bob Turner apparently lives in Saratoga Springs, based on what I was reading up on. He has served as kind of his liaison with the media and scheduling stuff. Apparently, they went to the U.S. Open in Marion in 2013 and got done with his round, similar to what you're talking about with his routine. He saw the driving range. He was like, 
hey, I want to go hit. And Bob's like, dude, you just barely finished your round. He's like, no, I want, look at this thing. I want to go, I want to go practice. Hit for an hour after his round and just was loving life. Yeah. And this kid, this, I think, well, he's not a kid anymore, but uh, he, uh, he learned the language on a mission. Yeah. This guy went, he was a convert to the LDS faith, went on a mission to Japan, married a woman from there. She got homesick. So they went back to Japan. He's been working over there for many, many years. His son actually was Ichiro Suzuki's translator. Oh, I for did the, not know for that. For the Mariners. Oh, really? Yeah, so this oh. family's all yeah. over pro sports. So the thing about, you know, being an American sports fan and living in Japan is, with the time difference, everything's in the morning. Over there for a week before the Olympics and walking in somewhere to do an interview, and the TV is on, and PK, it was the weirdest thing. The um, it was uh, I think it was the Marlins-Indians World Series. The World Series is on at like 8 o'clock in the morning. And everything's intense, and it's a couple people watching it, and they're totally locked into it. And I'm like, I don't know if I can get this worked up at 8.15 in the morning. <laughs> well, but if that's all you know, you don't know any better. Oh, no, yeah. Well, I think it was the thing that I could adapt to in the long run, because what happened was the Japan series was on at night. So there was, like, big-time baseball in the morning, and then the whole country's into the big-time baseball at night, a too. A morning-night doubleheader? Well, that would be, if you were an American sports yeah, fan, that's, what it would be, that's yeah. the way it would work, yeah. Because everything that happened in North America would be happening oh, in the yeah. morning. His win wait, came wait, wait, at 8.11 then, a.m. Uh, Japan time. Yeah. Back it up. If you're an American sports fan? Well, I don't know if, that everybody in Japan is following North American sports. Why I mean, not? The, we're the U.S. <laughs> well, we know they follow baseball. And we know they follow golf big time. There's no doubt about that. I have no idea how big the NFL is. I know there's been a handful of college and pro games over there, but I have no idea if they're if they're waking up to their NFL football. Me either. Well, didn't ASU have the first Japanese of Japanese descent player to score a touchdown last year? PK is a walk against Arizona. Back? Against Arizona, yeah. Well, okay, him, but everybody scored a touchdown. But against Arizona. Him, we'll history making. Sixty-three to seven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that still gets the coach fired, which is what you were hoping for. <laughs> There's something more humiliating about the number 70 than there is 63. <laughs> I agree. At 70, it seems like you're really piling it on. I've seen scores in the 60s before, but 70's hard to get to. That 10th touchdown's a tricky one. All right, that's a lot of what we have been talking about this morning. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. All right, time now for the feedback. <laughs> PK, you've done it again. <laughs> uh. Well, it's just your throwaway comment at the end about uh, the Masters when I said to Bob, oh, man, I thought if this comeback happens, if this Matsuyama big lead, it was four to start the day, it went up to six, if this goes away and Shoffley wins, that Bob's going to be unbearable. And then you said, see, DJ, you root against people so they won't gloat. I said, well, yeah, I rooted against him because we were drafting and going head-to-head, but I, I don't care about you gloating about ASU because I don't have a team in the Pac-12. I got a team in the Mountain West. And Hamlet, at good Sir Hamlet, says, PK, he's trying to make this about gloating. This is about elite competition in all we do, including who we pick and watch from our sofas. And that's not okay, DJ. Not everyone has that elite competitive mindset. <laughs> Look what you've provoked. <laughs> that was good by Hamlet. So, I appreciated that. I, I have an elite competitive mindset. Apparently not. I have it as I spill chips on myself. <laughs> 
Oops. Guacamole got away from me there. I'm in an elite competitive situation. I guess if that's a, a competitive situation, yeah, I don't really care if Xander Shoffley wins and whomever wins, or for that matter, any golf tournament. doesn't matter to me. Let, let somebody gloat. What difference does it make? Uh, we've not talked a lot about Craig Smith, but I think we're going to going forward. And I think that, uh, you know, we both uh, remember when the Utes were really good in basketball and what the Ute fan base was like. And it's not like that right now because they haven't had anything to gloat about for the last five years. Um, and the last 15 have been a disappointment, although there have been some highlights in there. And Kostoviak had a Sweet 16 team in that run. Um, Craig Smith was on Talking Sports, and I posted a thing to social media. And Curtis Carter replies, he looks great in red. And then it's Steph Curry pouring salt out of a shaker. So Curtis taking a shot at the Aggies and pumping up his Utes. And the guy hasn't coached a game yet. <laughs> but nonetheless, rivalries, you don't have to play to remain a rival, apparently. I Sorry, I do not talk about talking sports. Okay. Do you want to talk about Craig? And the huge fan base embracing him totally and completely. Once he wins, they'll embrace him totally and completely. <laughs> Notice I said once. I, I don't think they're waiting for it. If. I don't think they're waiting for it. Mm, Got to win, though. You do. Right now he's 0-0, zero zero, but I think they're, yeah. uh, they're embracing it. They've watched him win with Utah State, and that's good enough for them. All right, DJ and PK, there'll be time to explore that going forward. Jazz are playing tonight. 7 o'clock start. We'll tell you all about the Jazz tomorrow morning, one of the best of the postgame show. The Jazz and the Wizards tonight. We'll see you tomorrow from 6 to 10. Hans and Scott are up next.